everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. She would witness the horrific shooting of both parents at the tender age of eight. Her brother Daniel was three. One would be killed, the other spared, only to suffer with great guilt, mental disorders, and eventual death. She would be orphaned at age 14. Prior to the shooting, she and her brother and her gifted, talented, and well-loved parents Pastors of a small community church in Sellerstown, North Carolina, would suffer continued torment, threats, bombings, and shootings from a disgruntled and jealous churchgoer, the man they called the devil in pew number seven, and the title of my next guest book. Would you welcome with me today from her home in Franklin, Tennessee, author and speaker, and my honored guest, Rebecca Nichols Alonzo, or as her friends call her, Becky. Rebecca, welcome to Testimony. Thank you, Jensen. Thank you for having me. Rebecca, your book, The Devil in Pew Number 7, has been featured on Christian Broadcasting Network, The Dr. Phil Show, and numerous other television and radio broadcasts around the country, and will now, through this airing, be heard globally as it should be. Yours is a story of unbelievable trauma, fear, and the fight to overcome it all, only to be faced with continued tragedy and justice not served, not really. In this segment, Becky, I would like for you to take us to the day and events leading up to the shooting of your parents, and then for part two, the process and power of forgiveness, or as the cover of your book, The Devil in Pew Number 7, declares... Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rebecca, would you please tell us your story? Yes. My, my dad pastored a church in North Carolina back in the 70s. It was a small town. It was, it was a farming community, hardworking uh, people that worked from sun up to sundown. A lot of them are related. And so the church is located on a road called Sellerstown Road because a lot of those people their last name was Sellers. So my mom and dad came to this little church to hold some meetings. They were asked to stay on. The church had about a dozen people there. And my mom and dad just fell in love with this community. It was it was it was a loving community and accepting community except for one man and his name was Mr. Watts. He sat in pew number seven every Sunday and he went along with everything for about a year and a half. The church began to grow. Within a year, they had over 100 people, which was major church growth for that size of a community. But Mr. Watts was kind of the ruler of that community. He was a loan shark. He was a millionaire. He had a lot of money. He lent money to these farmers who worked their land that had been passed down from generation to generation. So this was family land. And he knew, you know, how to get these people because if they didn't do what he wanted them to do, he would foreclose on their on their homes and their farms, and they would lose everything. So my dad came into this situation. Um, he removed Mr. Watts. 
and his wife from some self-appointed positions that they had in the church. One of those positions was his, his, Mr. Watts' wife was the church secretary. And Mr. Watts would write a check for the church offering and get the tax deduction and take the cash. So my dad removed his wife from that position. Then she was teaching Sunday school class and, and mainly um, Old Testament law, and my dad came in with New Testament grace. So my dad removed her from that teaching position. And then he said, we're going to set up an elder board according to the New Testament, and you have to, you know, you have to be a member to vote on church business. Well, Mr. Watts was not a member. He had just been in charge. So he slowly lost control in different positions of power in the church, which infuriated him. And the war began between my dad and Mr. Watts. So he would come to church every Sunday, sit in pew number seven. He would tap at his watch, you know, hold his hand up and tap at his watch. He would make faces at the singers. He would get up and slam the door and just cause all these distractions. And my mother, who was a strong Christian woman, would just raise her hand and say, well, amen. (laughs) And everybody would laugh. She would bring a little bit of comic relief to a very serious situation. But she just said... You know, God called us here. We're where God wants us, so we're not leaving unless the Lord wants us to leave. And on the back of the book, there's a quote from my dad, because we started receiving harassing um, phone calls and threatening letters. And one of the threatening letters said, you will leave Sellerstown walking, crawling, dead or alive. And my dad's response to that in the newspaper was, when the Lord gets ready for me to leave this church, he won't send the message by the devil. Wow. So this escalated from harassing phone calls 30 to 60 a day, mainly at night, to keep us, you know, awake and wear us down, to um, the threatening letters. And then he started hiring people, these ex-cons out of prison that couldn't get a job. He would, he would hire them to do drive-by shooting. So by the time I was five years old, I had bullets flying past my head at night terrified to go to sleep at night because we didn't know who was going to sneak into our yard that night, slash our tires on our car, cut our phone lines, and shoot out the outside lights. We were actually held hostage in our home. We were out in the country. Our neighbor was not, you know, right next door. Our neighbor was down the street. Well, Becky, what preventative measures was anyone trying to do about this, or proactive measures? The police, church members, your dad... Did someone put a trace on your phone to trace where these calls were coming from? Talk a little bit about that. Yes, eventually they did. You you asked the right question. That's usually where most people go. Whenever we're, you know, in harm's way, who do we call the police? And my parents did that over and over. And everyone knew who was behind all of this, because not only did Mr. Watts come to church every Sunday and sit in pew number seven, he lived across the street from our home, so he stalked our family. He watched us through the, his window, and he would hire these people so that he could say he didn't have anything to do with it. So when the police came around and asked him questions, he would say, I, I don't know, I was asleep in my bed. I was a little miffed when I was reading this because I thought, where was the law enforcement? I mean, right. certainly he could have been arrested as an accomplice, someone who was uh forcing this to happen even though he was working through other people couldn't something have been done in that venue right right well the police were involved in the investigation we had detectives at our house trying to gather enough evidence that was the problem is that these guys would sneak in at night our church members 
became our family, and they were willing, even though they had their own families, these men in our church would stand around our home at night with shotguns trying to protect us so that we could get a good night's sleep. So my parents were willing to lay down their life, you know, for their church, and then their church felt the same way. They loved my mom and dad. I called everybody aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa, and I said, you know, there's pluses and positives to being a preacher's kid. The positive is everybody loves you. The negative is you can't get away with anything. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. My mom mom would already get the phone call before I could even get home to tell her what happened. She would already be standing there waiting for me, you know, so, you know, loved but couldn't get away with anything. So, you know, my mom and dad just would not leave this spiritual family that they had loved, become, you know, become so close to and, and loved. And my mother would say, Christ gave his life for me. I'm willing to do the same. It escalated from the drive-by shootings to these men sneaking into our, our yard in the church yard. A lot of times at night on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night when we were having church services, and, and they would attach sticks of dynamite. It escalated to dynamite explosions. They would attach them to corn stalks. Because we were out in the country, these people were farmers. So we had corn fields behind our home and the church. And um, during the service, you know, an explosion would go off that you could hear two or three miles down the road. And, and when the explosions began, that's when the FBI was called in, and ATF, alcohol, uh, firearms, and tobacco, or alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. So they were called in, set up mobile units in our yard, uh, began, you know, collecting the, the fuses from the dynamite, putting a tap on the phone. And so that's when Mr. Watts laid low for a while. And he would space things out like three to six months, and we would think, okay, God has heard our prayer He's not going to try to blow us up anymore, you know, or he's heard our prayer and these people aren't going to shoot at us anymore. And so then that time would pass and then another explosion would go off. And then the FBI would come back in and try to gather information. So this just went on the for about two and a half years, but a total of five years. And after Mr. Watts finally realized my mom and dad were not going to leave, my dad, my dad said in a newspaper article, he was quoted saying, those boys, and they know who I'm talking about, better pray to the good Lord I don't ever backslide because I've never met a man I couldn't whip. <laughs> <laughs> I read that, and your dad was a, a Navy veteran. He was a tall, dark, handsome man. He was quite accomplished and skilled with his hands. Uh, he was a football player. He was he was not someone that uh, you would want to have on the wrong side if your dad got in his flesh instead of the spirit. Is that right, Rebecca? That is right. We he was a hunter. I mean, we had guns hanging on the walls of our in our family room. You know, he was a hunter, a fisherman, an outdoorsman, and he was only six four. And like you said, Navy vet could totally take care of himself and our family. But he was trying not to resort to the same tactics that they were using against us because he thought, you know, this guy's getting away with it. I try to retaliate. I'm the one that's going to get arrested, you know, and put under the jail. And then my family's not going to have anybody there to protect them. And so my mom even felt after a while, she said, you know, even if we did leave, where would we go? Because he would find us. She said he would hunt us down and kill us. 
so she said, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay. And, and so after five years of this bombardment, harassment, drive-by shootings, explosions, there were ten explosions in two and a half years. Um, and that's when my dad began with the paranoia, looking out the window all the time, checking every car that went by. He would sit up at night and, and um, look out the window to make sure people weren't sneaking into our yard. And so he began to get worn down over a period of time. And Mr. Watts found out about the perfect situation to get a human weapon inside of our home. My, my mother's good friend um, was married to an abusive alcoholic that my parents had reached out to and tried to help through counseling and, and different things, um, had been beaten by this husband. And so she called my mother and said, you know, Harris has beaten me severely. And so my mom, being the compassionate, helpful, loving person that she is, said, well, come stay with us. And I said, looking back as an adult, we were not the safest place in town. I mean, right. we've got all these things, you know, dynamite explosions and drive-by shootings. And so she came to stay with us, and Mr. Watts found out about this opportunity and sent one of his hired henchmen over to plant a terrible lie in Harris's mind. And it was enough to infuriate him to get him to do what he did which was come into our house on Easter weekend, 1978, uh, with three guns. And as we were sitting down to eat dinner, um, he barged into our house and shot both of our parents in front of us. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Rebecca Nichols Alonzo, author of The Devil in Pew Number 7, the horrific true account of the killing of both of her parents and the forgiveness that followed. We'll continue with Rebecca's story next week on testimony. Becky, thank you for being with us. We look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you, Denton. Thank you. If you would like more information, you can visit our website at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. Or write to us at testimony, P.O. Box 1333, Palm Desert, California, 92261. That's P.O. Box 1333, Palm Desert, California, 92261. I'm Jensine Bard. Please join us again for testimony. <laughs>